Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. Mic check, mic check. One, two, one, two, one, two, for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Word up. It's that biblical, biblical theology, theology study of the person of God. Attributes. God's word is like a breeze in the tropics. And Jesus got the keys to the cockpit. He's the king, the priest, and the prophet. So please watch as we proceed with the topic. Uh, yeah. And that's biblical theology. That phrase alone, they give some people allergies. Uh, they say it's not practical enough. Uh-huh. Just give me Jesus, that will be enough. That seems plausible and logical. Nobody wants to be all cold and theological. But being a theologian is not optional. Because when you talk about Christ, you're saying something doctrinal. Either it accurately portrays his majesty, or it's a travesty, or worse, blasphemy. You can do a global search. This mark is crucial to the health of a local church. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. What do I mean by biblical theology? The whole theme of the scripture and God's the key. It's following the Bible storyline and the ultimate goal is seeing God's glory shine. What he starts, he finishes with dedication. A work of art from Genesis to Revelation. From God's creation to man's fall to redemption to consummation. His designs and structure each time will fluster. What mind can instruct the divine conductor? His worthiness sits enthroned in the heavens sturdy and fixed. Romans 11.36 Biblical theology encompasses Who God is, what he promises, and accomplishes So clever we behold his endeavors unfold The greatest story ever told The Christian life is a difficult odyssey The faithful are a statistical anomaly The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically That's why we need that biblical theology Lord God, deliver us from apostasy The human heart is given to idolatry The situation is critical, we got to see the importance of biblical theology. The Lord has not decided to... And welcome, welcome, welcome to another awesome and fun edition of Theology Matters with the Palouse. Um, I'm one of the Palouse, uh, Melissa, and uh, Devin is not going to be with us today, but I'm very, very excited for this um, episode um, today. I think that you are going to be blessed, that you're going to be encouraged, that you're going to be equipped. Um, to engage on some very important topics and issues um, that are currently affecting our culture, but that the Bible has has had lots to say about um, uh, centuries, centuries and millennia ago. So we're really um, excited to jump into our show today. Um, we are just wanting to thank all of those who have been praying for us um, through uh, just the uh, very uh, various challenges that we've been experiencing over um, the past. Um, few months, and I'm just blessed to be here um, with you all, despite the health challenges and those um, uh, things that have uh, come into our lives recently unexpectedly, um, still um, dealing with a lot of issues with my mobility and pain and that, but by God's grace, he has allowed me to um, start walking again and doing lots of physical therapy and um, has been so good to us through the body of Christ. And so 
we're so grateful um, to him and to you all for your prayers and just all the outpouring of support for our family and for our ministry. We want you to also continue to keep um, Ratio Christie at Winthrop University in your prayers. Um, God has just done amazing things um, through the, the students at Winthrop as they are being equipped in apologetics and as they are engaging their peers, um, the professors. Um, we have uh, started our RC Pro program successfully on the campus, and we have um, just some wonderful, um, engaging um, Christian professors, um, brilliant professors, godly professors who love the Lord, who love the Word of God, who love their students, who are fighting for the hearts and minds of the young people on campus and who, who see um, the need for apologetics, and they, they um, have a a very close um, perspective on how secular humanism um, has affected the college campus and, and our young people. And so they are very engaged um, on the campus. And um, so just keep professors, not only professors at Winthrop, um, but also all the RC profs around the country and just Christian professors in general who are in the trenches and who um, are um, somewhat mocked and persecuted for their faith but are standing strong and who need our support. So um, we just uh, continue to ask that you lift them up and um, and uh, as, as well as our family. But we, again, we want to just thank you again for joining us for another another time here together. We enjoy being here with you each week, and we learn as much as you do. So that's one of the, the double blessings of doing this show is that we get to, to talk with some wonderful people who um, have taken their time and their um, gifts and their um, all of their energies to um, really study out a lot of issues related to Christian theology and apologetics and to bring those issues in a way to um, that way to lay people like ourselves who can understand and in and, and ways that we can communicate those truths to others and share them in our dialogues and in our relationships with others and in our comings and goings. So um, we're um, excited about that. And we are having some sort of a um, thunderstorm here in Carolina that just Roll through about two minutes ago, and it looks like Noah's Ark outside already um, as I'm looking out the window. So prayerfully, that will not affect our connection or um, our technology, which um, has been known to, to crash at times, but we will uh, just move through as the Lord allows us to, and uh, just we'll go ahead and jump into our show for today. So uh, we're actually going to be talking about the issue of race today. Um, so this is obviously uh, in, in our culture, um, in the times that we're living with all of the issues that are going on um, in the media, um, you, you can't run from this issue of race. And, and so we, want to, we wanted to, to discuss this issue from a biblical worldview perspective and how do we have these conversations. Um, and then as we thought about the, this issue, um, we thought that we would bring on someone who um, has really taken the time to look at um, what the Bible has to say, to look at theology, to look at apologetics, and to bring all of those um, different issues into play when forming a worldview about how we view race and how we discuss race and um, in a way that, that honors the Lord. So we're very excited to um, bring our guest on, Dr. Hale Felder. Um, Dr. Felder is the founder of Given an Answer, it's a television ministry, and we'll ask him more about that and, and let you sh let him share with you more about that ministry and um, how it got started and how you can um, follow that ministry. Um, Dr. Felder um, is actually a former software engineer with NASA 
Um, it, he has gone on to receive a master's degree in apologetics, um, as well as a doctorate of ministry in apologetics from Southern Evangelical Seminary. Um, Devin and I are blessed to have known Dr. Felder, and um, we're glad to have him on the show with us today. Um, Dr. Felder, are you there? I am here. Great. great. We are so excited. We can. We can hear you loud and clear. Yep, you sound great. Um, we're very excited to hear uh, to have you here. I know I was just sharing how kind of a, a thunderstorm just rolled through here in Rock Hill. I don't know about up in the Charlotte area how, how the weather is, but um, so far so good with the connection. Shine here, not a cloud in the sky over here. <laughs> really interesting. Yeah, it looks like I looked at my backyard already. Already Noah's Ark. I see, you know, um, it's going to be a mess out there later. But we're really um, thankful for you to take out take time out of your busy schedule. I know that you have a lot going on um, to be with us and to be with our our listeners today. Um, well, and I know Devin and I we were we were t- discussing how we went or when we initially met you, and it's been a number of years, um, probably early in our marriage um, when uh, when we both met you. So I'm thinking. Probably maybe eight eight or nine years ago, but it was definitely through the ministry of Southern Evangelical Seminary, where we were before yeah. we were even students. We were taking classes through the the institute right. um, there that they were offering, just a free institute. And I believe were you teaching as a part of that or? Um, let's see, I did teach a couple of classes, but I was also okay. a student because um, now were you were you were you at Southern Evangelical Church? We were there too, yeah, for a time, yes. Yeah. So okay, so I did some classes there. So, so yeah, yeah, I, I, I did some classes there as, as well. So, but I do remember being in class with you and your husband. Mhm. Yeah, but I, I remember us taking a, a you teaching a few of our sessions in the institute and, and really um, learning a lot from you. I think it was on the Word of Faith movement, as a matter of fact, which I had, which I had okay. recently come out of at that time. So. Um, your classes were particularly insightful for me. <laughs> okay. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, so I know that's one area that you do a lot of ministry and work in, and we'll we'll get to, to, to your ministry. Um, tell us, you know, actually, I, I want to start with your testimony because um, I've heard it before, but if you could share it with our listeners, just um, how the Lord saved you, changed you, how he got you on this path to – um, digging into Bible and, and theology and apologetics and just how that all kind of played out. Sure, absolutely. Well, I was actually raised in church. I was born in D.C. And, uh, and my parents sent me to church every Sunday, but I didn't learn anything. I mean, I, I, I heard about some guy named Jesus, but he didn't mean anything mm-hmm. to me. So right. I mean, I, I understood I understood that he was so important, but that didn't have any significance. So, so I just lived my life as I normally would live my life, and and I believed that there was a God, but you know I had this sort of a theology where you no, know, you don't bother me, I won't bother you. You know, mm-hmm. except, except every now and then when I needed like I needed something, I might call on him, but then you know it was like right. a spare tire, and I put him back, and I put him back in the trunk, and you know he's supposed to stay there nice and quiet until I pulled him out again. Well, mm-hmm. what happened was when I joined the Navy, and I was in boot camp, and uh, and I remember praying to God to help me get through boot camp, but I was struggling. I mean, I was definitely struggling in boot camp. And and, mm-hmm. and I remember I, I got out of boot camp and, you know, got to answer that prayer, and I, and I got my first duty station, and my first duty station was the Philippines. And i never forget when I walked outside that gate, 
and I saw another but balls and women. And I knew right uh-huh. then that belief in the God was going to interfere with the way I wanted to live my life. Because, see, I didn't want to be held accountable to anybody. So I mm-hmm. made a decision right then and there, a conscious decision right then and there not to believe in God. And mm-hmm. that's how I lived my life. I lived my life as if there was no God because I wanted alcohol and I wanted women. And, you know, God is the type of person, he's like, you know, thy will be done. And he let me mm-hmm. pursue those things. And I wanted the freedom to pursue them. And then years later, when I got out the Navy and I, I thought, when I thought about mm-hmm. looking back over my life now and I started looking at what my life was, I realized that I was in bondage to those things. You know, those things mm-hmm. that we want to be free to do end up being those things that put us in bondage. Because I would wake up in the morning and I thought about two things, women and alcohol. That's it. My, my whole life revolved around mm-hmm. those things. And I was, I was in complete bondage to them. And I remember my mm-hmm. uh, uncle... In 1997, my uncle introduced me to a young lady who was a Christian. But, you know, I wasn't interested in her because she was a Christian. I was interested in her because she looked good. But he <laughs> you know, she's a Christian, but, you know, after a little while, she had dropped that, and then, you know, you would be in. So, yeah, that makes complete sense to me. And it did. That's mm-hmm. kind of makes complete sense. But I know something interesting about her is that she actually was the first Christian to talk the talk and to walk the walk. And so I started spending time with her, and I remember one Friday she invited me to go to church with her. And I said, okay, I'll go, but I thought it was weird because who goes to church on a Friday? I mean, that's happy hour. You're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to go out and have drinks. <laughs> so I had a drink, and I went to church with her. Uh, and, and it's something weird happened that night. I mean, I, you know, long story short, I ended up accepting the Lord that night. And... Uh-huh. And it was it was a, it was an emotional experience, a very emotional experience. And after Euphoria War, I wanted to make sure that this was real, you know, that this wasn't just something that got caught up in emotions. Because I'm, you know, I'm a rational thinker, you know, and, and I have I used to I used to attack Christians, I used to shut down Christians, I used to argue with Christians. When I was in the Navy, mm-hmm. I was a Christian either. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. I was a rabid atheist. And I was firm in my atheism. The only time I struggled with my atheism when I was a baby was when I would go out to sleep. Because when I would go out to sleep, and at nighttime, I would look up at the stars, and I would say, Pookie ain't do that. Nobody Hmm. did that. No man I have ever met did that. And I'm going to come back. When I would come back to land, I would have to fight to get back to my atheism. So, so, so now at the time now, I'm, I'm fast forwarding back again. I'm, I'm up, you know, I, I've got my computer science degree, you know, from the uh, University of Maryland. I'm, I'm working as a software engineer at NASA. I'm a very logical thinker, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, maybe I just got caught up in emotion. Maybe this Christianity really isn't true. You know, maybe mm-hmm. I just, you know, I just, I needed something at that moment, but, and I was just stretching, you know, I was just reaching. So I started doing research. And I was shocked to find out that there's plenty of evidence for the Bible. There's plenty of evidence that, that, that uh, the Bible is the word of God, that, uh, that Jesus rose from the dead, that there is a God, and that God corresponds to the God of the Bible. And I was shocked, and I was angry. I was shocked and angry because not one person ever shared any of this information with me. Not right. one person. So when I started doing apologetics, of course I started coming across some some names, you know, one of the most important names I came across at the time was Dr. Norman Geisler. 
And mm-hmm. I used to listen to him. And I heard him on a show one time, and I heard him saying that he was five, he five in school in Charlotte, North Carolina. When I heard that, I knew I was going to end up moving to Charlotte, North Carolina. And within a couple of years, I did mm-hmm. just that. I sold my house. I quit my job at NASA, and I moved to Charlotte, and I went to school full time, getting a master's in apologetics. And I got that master's. Mm-hmm. And when I, got, when I finished the master's, then I... I was out for a little while, enjoying not having the right papers or taking exams, and then I realized <laughs> I still missed learning. So I went back to school and ended up earning my doctorate. So for my dissertation, right. I actually uh-huh. wrote the book, The African-American Guide to the Bible, as my dissertation. So wow. I started my ministry giving an answer in which I have a, uh, it's, 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 it's a weekly talk show. It comes on locally mm-hmm. here. It's also, I also have a YouTube channel. As a matter of fact, it comes on in a few minutes. But uh, a YouTube channel as yeah. well where I basically I have most of my shows up. So if anyone wants to check it out, they can just go to givinganswer.org. I have articles and I do speaking engagements. And, and basically I'm just trying to reach the lost and those who are believers but need to be encouraged through evidence for mm-hmm. faith. So that's my yeah. That, that, that's, yeah, that's Devin Hawkins. Yeah, what, oh, and what a powerful way, testimony that is. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I always, I always forget, I always forget this part. I need to, I need to, I need to add this part because people always ask me. Yes. How come you didn't mention that? Because I remember that I was an alcoholic. Remember I mentioned I was an alcoholic and a whoremonger. So mm. God delivered me from alcohol. I remember it was a, uh, it was a, uh, October nineteen ninety eight. And every day I drank a fifth of vodka, 30 vodka. Every day. That's what I drank. Mm-hmm. I mean, I drank until I passed out, and then the next day I went to work, and I came home, and I did it all over again. But, um, mm-hmm. And I was praying to God, because I was trying to stop, and I couldn't stop. I really couldn't stop. But I was trying to stop mm-hmm. my own power, and I called other God, and I cried to God, and I said, God, if you did not take this away from me, it will kill me. And I sincerely prayed that. And then about two weeks later, I went to take a drink, and it tasted like gasoline. I mean, mm. when something happened between the time I put it up to my lips and the time it touched my lips. That was 1998. I have not had a drink since, nor a desire for drink. As a matter of fact, I don't even like the smell of alcohol anymore. So that was my life. Mm. And, and with the whole whoremongering thing, I got married to my wife, my lovely wife, in 2008. We got married January 1st. Before we got married, I had been celibate for 10 years. Wow. Ten years what up a, to our a, wedding day, up to our wedding night. So God had those things that I just couldn't live without. God showed me that I could live without those things. And as a matter of fact, I'm thriving mm-hmm. without those things. Wow. Isn't that just, um, that? That's, that is what the gospel does. That's what the cross yes. does. I mean, it, it it is a transformation, and it's um, amazing because, again, we see people on the other end a lot of times <laughs> after, you know, they've right. had that, um, there's, after they've been saved and they, they've been growing and, and we've seen them along in the sanctification track, <laughs> but we didn't see them in, in right. the pre-Christ days. And so it's always amazing to me to hear, hear testimonies. And it's just it's, it, to, to celebrate the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God, but also it's an encouragement, I think, to all of us 
um, as we yes. um, deal with our, our friends and our family who are lost or, or who are struggling with alcoholism or, you know, or there could be someone listening right now who's struggling with alcoholism or struggling with, um, you know, lust and, you know, yes. relationships and all these different things. And so that could be why they're listening is to hear that information. And so we always like to incorporate the, you know, testimonies into to our broadcasting because um, they are powerful, and God gave gave us our testimonies to share, <laughs> and for a reason. And, yes, and, um, and in addition to that, for instance, I've done a lot of shows on testimonies, and people would say, "Well, you mm-hmm. know, you have an apologetic you have an apologetic uh, show. Why are you doing testimonies?" Because to me, testimonies are the evidence for the existence of God. If God can't do mm-hmm. a transforming life in the life of someone, then I would have to doubt his existence. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And that's that's uh, yeah. So it's it's not um they're not antithetical to each other sharing our testimonies and sharing right. the evidences for God's existence because again right. God's changes in our lives. It's not uh, the only evidence but but it is something that right. does point to something um in us that we couldn't do in our own power, in our own strength. Right. That there took right. um, someone else. That there took this 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 God this sa- to save us. Literally, He's our Savior because He saves us from ourselves. Um, so in Absolutely. His grace, He saves us from ourselves and changes us and redeems us. And um, it's just amazing. I mean, I could just I could do this all day. I mean, I could <laughs> <laughs> just talk about just oh, how yeah. awesome God is in that because you know we all have our own story and but we I think we yeah. all need to reflect on our stories. Um, from time to time and just not to get caught up on where we're not yet and, you know, our failures and these sort of things, but right. to look at what God has done and to praise him and to trust him going forward with our lives. So I'm just, I'm very encouraged um, just listening to your story. And I know that others, others are too. Um, but yeah, so your ministry with us living here locally in the Carolina area, we've been blessed to be able to um, watch given an answer um, on local TV over the years Great. and just the, the wonderful guests that you have brought on. Um, and, you know, I think um, your show serves a purpose as ours does in that now we are, we're not as trained as you are. <laughs> we don't have the knowledge that you have by <laughs> uh, far, but um, I love how you bring on other apologists and other guests who specialize in different areas of apologetics. Yes. Um, to mm-hmm. educate and to inform your your watchers and your viewers, um, because I right. think that that um, you know, apologetics is not a one stop shop. One person doesn't do it all. Um, there are some very gifted yeah. minds in apologetics. I think, uh, but he, God has given um, different um, uh, people different gifts and different interests and different areas of focus that they bring to um, to the table. And so I think that that's effective when when we are dealing with these issues is to to have a well-rounded mm-hmm. apologetic and to bring others on, yeah. you know, that certain issues I can't know it all. That's why I have guests on who are experts in specific areas of apologetics. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but, yes, but your show has been a blessing to so many. And, um, again, your website is org, right? Correct. Okay. So I encourage um, our listeners to go there and, Look at past shows and to subscribe to the YouTube channel and um, and just to use that that um, as a resource. Um, we're all, we're all about resources. So any resources that we can refer people to that are going to help them, um, we we're all about that. So definitely take advantage of this wonderful show. Um, so let's kind of get into 
um, your book and into this topic for today. Um, I know that you mentioned, um, as you were sharing about your studies at Southern Evangelical Seminary, um, which is, you know, near and dear to our hearts. We just love that place, and um, we'll <laughs> probably be there forever trying to get through, but <laughs> but it's been worth, worth every minute of being there and just the, the um, just not only the um, the academics, but the practical knowledge and just being around very godly people who have poured into us there. But um, I, um, but Southern Evangelical Seminary is so important to us. But um, your your dissertation was on this topic um, that led to your book. So right. why why do you think that we need something like this? Um, a, a book that deals with issues of race, and I love your concept of the book and how you approach these topics um, from an apologetic perspective, first of all. But but why do we need a book like this in in today's um, culture? Well, because there is a growing segment of the African American community that believes that the Bible is incompatible with people of color. They believe that the Bible mm-hmm. and the God of the Bible are racist, and that mm. the white Jesus and the white God and all the white Jews in there have nothing in common with us. And so, and, and, and to be honest with you, uh, I had a fourth view of this too before I started actually doing the study because I, you know, I was sort of under the impression that most of the people, all the people in the Bible were, were white, you know, that, you know, Jesus was white mm-hmm. and that. You know, that, uh, that God was just so gracious. He sort of, like, allowed us to tag along, but we weren't the intended target. But God just sort of allowed us to hang along. And when I started doing the research, I was, I was, you know, I was definitely surprised that that's just really, really not the case. But there are a lot of people who do believe that because I hear that. I mean, I hear that from my family. I hear that from from others who basically, you know, there's sort of like this back to Africa movement where, you know, we're supposed mm-hmm. to um, turn our back on Christianity because Christianity is supposed to be the white man's religion, and we shouldn't have anything to do with the white man's religion. And mm-hmm. I destroyed that myth in my book. Wow. And I think That's I great. Yeah. Job. You think you do a good job. Yeah. I hope you would think that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, my, myself, you know, being a, a black American, um, these are conversations that I've had that maybe some of my white counterparts and white brothers and sisters may not have had to have, but because they may not have, these objections may not be those that have been shared with them openly. But I think um, I've heard it numerous times and and have had to deal with these issues, um, you know, with family, friends, and that sort of thing. So um, I definitely see the need for this, and I'm very grateful that you stepped out into this area. Um, I know it can be touchy for people um, to even talk about <laughs> anything related to this. So, I mean, kudos to yeah. you for the courage to, to take this on head on um, and to really invest and to study to show yourself approved so that, you know, people like myself can have these conversations in a meaningful way. And I think that this is, I mean, this is obviously going to be a resource that's not going to help um, just black Americans but or, or, um, but, or people of color, but, but anyone to, to dialogue about these issues. So what an awesome resource. And the book um, is, is a new book. And um, on our uh, show description here today, there's a link where you can check out Carol's website and uh, get more information about the book and how to order the book. 
um, I think that you will definitely want to add that to your library um, as as we uh, you'll you'll see why as we continue to unpack some of the issues um, in the book here. So it's the interest I, I was saying earlier, I really like your approach to the book because you start um, by uh, defending uh, the scripture and giving an apologetic for why we should trust the Bible in the first part of the right. book. So these three parts of the book. So obviously, naturally, as an, as an apologist, I, I know that that was um, something that came very natural to you. But, I, I, you know, as you mentioned, when you're talking to people about um, the issues of, you know, Christianity is a white man's religion and we shouldn't trust it and Christianity has been used to enslave African Americans over the centuries. Right. And, um, so before we, you know, we shouldn't trust it at all. But having a, a good apologetic, first and foremost, for why the Bible is reliable, is key, um, wouldn't you say? And and you can kind of expand on that. Yeah, because if the Bible isn't the Word of God, who cares what the Bible says? So I'm mm-hmm. trying to demonstrate that the Bible is compatible with people of color. That it is actually God's word, not one of God's words. Not you know, not 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 a, a in a category of things that claim to be God's word. But I want to demonstrate that it is God's word and it's God's word alone. Because if it's not God's mm-hmm. word, I don't care what it says about race. It's not important. So I first have to establish that it's the word of God, and that's what I do. I go through meticulously, right. and I establish that it's the word of God. I, I even give people – I'm assuming that the person who reads my book may not even have an understanding of the Bible at all. So I even break okay. down how the Bible is structured. I break down, you know, okay. the – the different sections of the Bible, the different testaments. I break down even the, the stories. I even give an overview, like a short overview of the, of the narrative of the Bible. What, what is the Bible about? What, what's happening? What are some of the major events so that people have an understanding of what the Bible actually is saying and how it is structured? And then I go on to give some of the evidence for it. I talk about some of the claims that the Bible makes as far as its inspiration. You know, we first start to uh, prove that the Bible is it claims to be inspired. You know, that's that's the first thing we do uh, is show mm-hmm. that. But, you know, we, we can't stop it, of course, because every every book claims to be inspired. So we have to show that it is inspired. And, and some of the things I do is I go through the manuscript evidence, you know, the history of the manuscripts, the nature of the manuscripts, the quality of the manuscripts. I talk about why we can trust mm-hmm. the New Testament because the New Testament is actually the foundation of the gospel message. And I talk about mm-hmm. the manuscript evidence is there as well. And I talk about things such as the fact that we know that you know, they are eyewitness accounts, and I give evidence for the fact that they're eyewitness accounts, that they're not only eyewitness accounts, but they're accurate accounts. It wasn't just eyewitnesses, but it was eyewitnesses who told the truth. It wasn't eyewitnesses who were making stuff up. And I also talk about the fact that um, – let me see a little bit. I also talk about the fact that um, – that, they um, are, I go through a lot of the, the historical events in the Bible that people think are fairy tales, mm-hmm. and I give scientific mm-hmm. evidence for those. Like I will talk about evidence that uh, that man and woman were created. I mean, I, I go mm-hmm. I, I use the biblical evidence, but I also use the scientific evidence to back it up, and I use a lot of scientific evidence okay. that well, the scientific evidence I use are, are not Christian sources. So, like I will use the genetic. Mm-hmm. The, uh, of DNA to demonstrate that according to science, we can trace all of our people back, uh, everyone in the human race back to one man and to one woman. I've built over the archaeological mm-hmm. evidence for a lot of things in the Bible, such as the Tower of Babel, Solomon Gomorrah, uh, Jericho, and a lot of those types of things. And 
and even and, and all the way up through to Jesus. I mean, I, I, I saw with the creation account for historical accuracy or historical and not theological evidence, they go right up to Jesus. And, mm-hmm. and then I actually get into what I consider the meat of it, and that is proving the Bible is the word of God. And one of the main ways I do that is through biblical prophecy. Because okay. only God knows the future. Only God can possibly know the future. The Bible mm-hmm. is unlike any other Bible, it's unlike any other scripture, in that it makes predictions of things hundreds, sometimes even thousands of years before they happen. And you can mm-hmm. verify those through secular sources. And I, I, mean, I had certain major categories I went through. I went through prophecies concerning Israel, prophecies concerning Israel neighbors, prophecies concerning world events. Basically, you have uh, the entire Western history was foretold by Daniel. I mean, he broke the whole thing down. And my right. is, is, is 33% prophecy. I mean, when we talk about people like Isaiah and Jeremiah, well, these people are prophets. Well, what do prophets do? Prophets prophesy about the future. So I even talk about the prophecies concerning Jesus. So I try to make a real strong case that the Bible really demonstrates this word of God by those prophecies. And 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 I remember, I remember when I was first taking a class in seminary, and I remember I was taking a class from Dr. Geisler, and mm-hmm. I wrote a paper. This was actually based on a paper, a research paper that I wrote years ago. And I remember him writing on a research paper, what about psychics? So I made sure in this book I dealt with psychics. And I went to, this, to uh, demonstrate the difference between what a biblical what a biblical prophet does and what a psychic does, and I even I even pick out like three famous people who are considered like psychics. I pick out Nostradamus, uh, Edgar Cayce, uh, and even mm-hmm. someone as recent as Sylvia Brown. I used to see her a lot on the Mount Taylor Williams, so I know I'm telling my age a little bit, but I, that's that, that, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. So, and I would show how they were wrong way more often than they're right. And then I compare that to what a biblical prophet does with the right 100% of the time to demonstrate that there is no comparison to them. So in a nutshell, right. that is how I handle the uh, the first part. And, but I also get into canon. I talk about the canon because people always want to know where, how did, where the books come from and you know, what about all the supposed errors. And I deal with all the supposed errors in the Bible. Well, not all of the errors, but all of the... The, mm-hmm. the the false assumptions that people make when they claim that the Bible have heard. So I, I, I deal with those as well. So that is pretty right. much how I deal with the uh, first part or the first section of, of my book, Part One. Yeah, yeah, so people getting this book are going to be able to, to have a whole resource just right there in and of itself re- regarding, you know, the question of the reliability of the Bible. So these chapters um, on... The old, the old Testament reliability, New Testament reliability, evidence for inspiration, mm-hmm. who determined what books went to the Bible. So, like I said, dealing with the canon, what about all those translations or the errors in the Bible? So questions like that right. are going to be addressed in the first part of the book. So, again, this is going to be a comprehensive resource for, for people. And I like I like what you said. You know, you're, you're coming from the perspective of someone who may not have even – even open the Bible or know much about the Bible or just right. bits and pieces about the Bible, but that they can get something from this book um, that will, um, that you know, starts with them from square one. So even someone dealing, you know, 
with the question of they want they're wanting to jump to the question of race, but they're going to get this background information first about why we can even look to the scripture. Because I think you're right in that if you're going to be in throughout the book as you're making uh, using arguments from scripture and these sort of things, um, it's important to demonstrate that the Bible is reliable <laughs> to those who are opening that yeah. book who are reading who may not be Christian. So um, I, I I just love that concept. So, um, yeah, definitely um, that first part is, is, I think, very vital to the to the flow of this book. Um, so then you go into part two of the book, which deals with the black presence in the Bible. And you, you had uh, stated that, you know, before you didn't really know much about the black presence in the Bible um, probably prior to being a Christian in that. And even for myself, um, I didn't even after being a Christian, you know, and, and just right. the, the presence right. um, there that we do have in the scriptures. And we're not like some afterthought. <laughs> um, right. But uh, that that's very interesting to people, I think, to find out um, uh, as they read through. And, and, but, but share some of this. Um, well, you know, well, let's start here. Let's start with before we, we jump to the black presence of the Bible, what is, what is race? That is that one of the fundamental questions I think when you're dealing with race in the Bible <laughs> is to have an understanding of what we're talking about so that everyone's kind of on the same page. Yeah, and I think I think this is one of the ways that uh, others have gone wrong with the Bible when they try to talk about race in the Bible is that they never define race. They never define mm-hmm. their terms. And as an apologist, I guess that's one of the first things we sort of learn is sort of you know define our terms. So what does race exactly. mean? I mean, I, I think we think we know what race means, but I dare to say that we don't really know what race means. Uh, <laughs> but first of all, to surprise a lot of people, race, and, and one of the things I, I, I start out with is before I explain what race is, I explain what race is not. And okay. so some people surprised, I demonstrate that race is not biological. It is not biological. Hmm. We are all the same. You cannot look at someone's DNA and tell this person is an African American or this person is is, uh, is 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 Asian. We our DNA is the same. So so there's nothing in our DNA to indicate anything about race. And the reason being is that race is not a thing. Okay. Well, race is. Race exists. Race does not exist biologically, but race does exist socially because we have created race. Man Mm -hmm. created race. Man found a need to put men in certain categories and define them by those categories with their physical features being from those categories. Now I right. will I will concede I will say though that that there is a sense in which we can classify people generally generally we can say that there are general characteristics of certain people in certain geographical areas and the reason why I'm trying to trying to qualify that is because. We tend to look at certain characteristics of a person. We would say, well, let's look at his nose. Okay, let's look at, okay, the eyes, blue eyes, okay, blonde hair. Mm-hmm. And we tend to use those as markers for race. Well, 
the problem with that is is that none of these markers are associated specifically with the race. And what I mean hmm. by that is these markers transcend supposed racial bounds. My grandfather was darker than me. Darkest man I knew had blue eyes. You Mine too. You can find a Norwegian with a flat, wide nose. We don't tend mm-hmm. to notice it because we don't really make that connection. But when you st- I started Googling, and you can find African-Americans with almond eyes. So almond eyes aren't something that's just a marker for Asian people. Wide nose isn't mm-hmm. necessarily a marker for black people. Blue eyes aren't necessarily a marker for white people. Because those things are secondary. And they tend to go together as a group because people tend to bring them as a group. If I marry another African American, those traits will tend to go along because we have those traits in common. So I'll just tend to have those traits in common. But there's nothing specifically black or white about any of these traits. So then the problem becomes then, so how do we define what race is? Because mm-hmm. biologically we can't do it. And, and, and if think about this. If I lined up every person in the world according to their skin color, could you point at mm-hmm. one person and say, this is where black begins or this is where white begins? Absolutely not. No way. Right. What about, I work, I work uh, with uh, a lot of people from uh, India. I, I work with people from mm-hmm. India who are dark-skinned, who are light skinned, mm-hmm. who I mean, and they tend to have straight hair. So straight hair clearly isn't, you know, down to skin color. So right. what do we classify them? Will we classify them as black, white, or maybe just Indian? So so mm-hmm. race doesn't mm-hmm. really exist from a biological perspective. It is something that we create. As a matter of fact, the uh, the people who actually uh, did the genome project. They categorize it not as any such thing as race. But just, they, and they say, and I open them up, but there is only one race, the human race. These are the world's leading authorities on genetics. So mm. that I deal with that whole thing right away. I deal with that whole thing up front because I wanted to make sure that uh, that we understand what race is and what race is not. So then, so then it becomes uh, a challenge for my book then to. So this was this was one of the things I struggled with, but then how do I define black people? <laughs> how do I define black people? <laughs> okay, well because if there's no really such, if there's really no such thing as black people, then how do I do it? I have to have some way to talk about black people. And the way mm-hmm. I define black is people who are African descent and who, who and who who say they're black. I mean, who identify themselves as black. So that's mm-hmm. that is the way I do it for. This part of the book. Now, when we get to the Bible, that's a, I have to I have to change it up a little bit because what we consider black today didn't exist in the Bible because uh, race isn't even a biblical concept. But that's we'll talk about that in a minute. But so let's talk about where race came from. I talk about how race was actually invented to enslave black people. It was invented by white people to enslave black people. I even go into the details of how that even happened, and I talk about how white whiteness was invented. Um, Hmm. Because it it wasn't always before the classifications in the in the in the United States were 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 uh, Christian and non-Christian. So mm-hmm. 
so when the first Africans came to America, well, they weren't really, they weren't really uh, Africans. They say black. They came from Europe, mm-hmm. and they were indentured servants. And they worked in the field alongside Irish, uh, German, uh, Italian. There was no mm-hmm. such thing as race at this point. As a matter of fact, black people would mind anyone they want because there was no such thing. You know, they were mm-hmm. running for and holding political office. It wasn't until an event happened that sort of shook the nation at its core. And this event was called Bacon's Rebellion. Have you ever heard of Bacon's Rebellion? I never heard of Bacon's Rebellion until I started doing this research. Uh, no, I don't know. Okay. It, and it happened, it happened in 1676. And okay. a man named... Nathaniel Bacon led an armed rebellion against uh, Virginia's governor, and they didn't get along because they they had this beef over how you know the Indians were being treated. They didn't think they were treating Indians you know uh, rough enough, I guess. But the bottom line is is that the the people who were the workers rose up against the. The slave owners, they're not slave owners, they weren't really slaves again. They rose up against the land owning class and they caused some damage. They even burned the city down. And so the land owners realized that we, this is not good. So they just figured out a way to divide and conquer. And the way they figured out to divide and conquer was they, along with a new scientific theory, they decided that new scientific theory that you know that says that men are inherently different. They use that as a mechanism to say that black people were inferior to white people, and then they defined mm-hmm. what black was and they defined what white was because you couldn't really tell necessarily all the time just by looking, and especially when you had a black. A, a, a black and a white who had a child. And so they had all these rules and laws, and I'm sure most of y'all have heard the one-drop rules. You had one drop, basically, of any black. I actually, it didn't even say one drop of black blood. It actually even went further. One drop of non-white blood you would consider black. Mm. And so that's where race That's where race came from. It was, it was invented. All right, wow. Isn't that interesting how, from the scriptural perspective and from like you said, biologically and naturally, it all goes hand in hand that we have the same parents and that we are right. all the same race. We're all humans. <laughs> and so, um, but yet the, through naturalist, uh, naturalist theories like the theory of evolution, of uh, Darwinian evolution, um, and through uh, secular social constructs, this is where you get the division and these sort of classifications that divide us rather than unify us, where the scripture basically we're all we're unified, we're one in Christ. Right, right. And, and, and another thing I do is, and I want to make sure I say this because I, I don't want I know someone's probably out there right now is trying to say you mean there's no difference between <laughs> between the African and the Norwegian? No, there there is difference. I mean, I, I'm not saying there's no difference. I'm just saying that the difference is, generally speaking, the difference between, well, specifically, what I'm going to say between white and black is more is more cultural than anything else. Cultural than, than biological. Right, right. Mm-hmm. right. It's, it's because if you take a person who is black, raise them in a white environment, 
they're going to respect the environment and vice versa. So right. uh, the type of food I eat, the type of music I like, is it's, it's because of my culture. Maybe not right. ethnicity, but not because I'm biologically wired to like soul music. It's just what I was raised what I was raised on and what generations before me were raised on, right. Right, right. And and, and I explained the difference, uh, and 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 I, I thought about this as well in the in, in the uh biblical biblical form because I, I make this I make these arguments from a biblical perspective and a scientific perspective. So right now I'm making this from a scientific perspective that the reason we are different is because man started out one, dark skin, more likely, and I give evidence for that. The scientific evidence is that, is that mankind originated or the first people originated in Africa. Now, as they migrated out of Africa, they adopted to their, or adapted to their, to their uh, environment. Mm-hmm. In order to balance out the melanin and vitamin D and all these type of things that go into my book. So as they as they migrated north, they developed lighter skin. And when I mean by developed lighter skin, within Animal Eve we have the traits for each and every type of um color under the sun. What I mean mm-hmm. is is that those who had who were born that had lighter skin tended to be healthier, leaving more offspring and over, you know, a period of time than that group will reflect what best what 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 is best for that environment. Mm-hmm. And so and, and and I use the uh, scientific evidence to, uh, to to back all that up. And, and 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 also one of the things that they use to demonstrate that is the diversity that 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 we have within the African American community as far as um, when we have offspring. Like I use my family's example. So we have I have two brothers. If you look at us, well, you will see that I am clearly the darkest one. My young, my uh, the younger brother was like, you know, he could almost pass the white, and my uh, other brother, he was somewhere in the middle. So that's not that's not uncommon in an African American family to have people of very different um, shades, even though they had the same mother and father. Right. So, uh, just to give you a, 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 a crazy example, so if we, if my family migrated north, way north, well, my brother, who was delighted, would probably, his, he would probably have more offspring simply because, uh, and, and one of the scientists gets into rickets and all that type of stuff. I'm not going to get into all that right now, but, but because, because he would be better suited for that environment, those people who had that type of trait would have more children and survive better in that environment. In a nutshell. Okay. Not trying to get too okay. too too involved and too complicated. Right. Yeah. Well that's that's a great um kind of a summary of of that of that section and um just what is race and why are we different and um just the biblical perspective and um that. So that that's a great way to, I think, again, from where you started with just defending the scriptures and then just talking about what is race, and um, and then you, you know, shared too a little about just the black presence in the Bible and and that as well. Yeah, it's kind of a and, middle and I ground. Like, I, also like, I also like to add the fact that I go into the uh, I talk in the Bible about how um, 
the sons of Noah, you know, uh, when I was when I was first learning about race in the Bible, I was you know I was told that you know Noah had three sons, and you had Jephthah, you had uh, Ham, and you had Shem, and then you had um, Ham was the father of the African nation, so he was black, and then you had Jephthah who was the father of the the European nation, so he was white, and then you had Shem, who was sort of like in between, so he was the father of the Middle Eastern nation. Uh, uh, nation. So but then I started doing research, and I started thinking to myself, hold up, something's not right here. <laughs> something's not right here. <laughs> they had the same mother and father. So it made no mm. sense that they had three different races of kids. My, my point is, and the point that I bring out in my theory is that no, they were all offspring. As they migrated, then they changed into Jefferson became light skinned because they migrated up north. And Ham migrated further south, became darker. So so that is that explains how that whole difference in complexion happened. Even from mm. a biblical perspective. Because when we look at when we look at what happened in the Tower of Babel God separated them based on their tongue. And then once God separated them, as they went off into their separate areas based on their new language, they were, they developed these traits because there was now a smaller team pool. And as they moved to different areas, the, the climate along with the, the smaller gene pool produced certain physical traits that we see today. Mm. All right. So, so again, so we see the of, of part two, <laughs> and I also go into some of the some of the uh, players. I mean, I, I I actually pick out some people who are clearly uh, African that we read about in the Bible. I talk about the Kushites because the Kushites, uh, I think a lot of people don't realize, even though even though they were all people of color, some were you know what you would consider like black black, you know, and those were the mm-hmm. Kushites because because Kush mm-hmm. Kush is where we would now consider. Uh, Sudan, uh, Ethiopia, and southern uh, Egypt. You know, these are the people that you know, you know, like you go over there and say, yeah, that look like my cousin, you know, Jerome or something like that. <laughs> but that's about how a lot of these people had lineage that, that is connected with Ham, who's the father of the African nation. And I talk about a lot of these people. I talk about this is Nimrod. Nimrod was the son of Cush. Cush was the son of Ham. And Cush was... Um, which started the, the nation of Cush, which I was just talking about. So, so clearly Nimrod was 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 regarded highly in the Bible, and he was the direct descendant of of Cush. And you know, I talk about you know, I talk about even Melchizedek and Phineas and Abraham, and but I'm going to a whole lot of people that's really that's beyond the scope of this discussion right now. But you still have to put mm-hmm. you about that. But that's pretty much what what I cover in my second part of the book. Right, and so it's an interesting because you know obviously the script, the whole of scripture is about you know the redemption of man and um, the savior and the coming redemption and these sort of things. But um, in that, you know, there's just we see humanity um, and we see the 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 differences in humanity in the in the scripture. So it's really neat to, to actually see um, that there is a black presence in the Bible and that um, you know something that we may not have thought about before, um, yeah. but that we can actually see that. And one of the things I want to stress is, is, is people don't get a whole lot. They get this: that race is not a biblical concept. 
I repeat, mm-hmm. race is not a biblical concept. God never deals with black people, white people, Asian people. Mm-hmm. God deals with nations. He deals with the Hittites, the Jebusites, Israelites. He never mm-hmm. deals with people by, by color because race didn't exist. So whenever we look at the Bible and we talk about race, we have to understand and realize that we are sort of superimposing something on the Bible that's completely foreign to the Bible. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, People didn't look at one another okay. and look down upon one another because of the color of their skin. That just that was not something that even existed. Right. So we we're basically we're we're making a mockery of God's design and creation when we um, exhibit supremacy towards one another for those things that He doesn't even um, He. Things that we are basically manufacturing as as um, and, and, and we are and and it I'm sure it hurts God because it's it's me and my brothers started really you know dissing one of the other because of the color of their skin it would hurt my parents how much more would it hurt God I mean we mm-hmm. all everyone on the face of the earth Adam and Eve we all mm-hmm. have the image of God in us not. Some of us having more of an image of God or some of us having less of an image of God, we, each and every one of us has the exact same image of God. So I think Amen. that's the part that we are missing. Mm-hmm. It is. It's something that is vital. I mean, because, again, when we're talking about um, sin and why we need a Savior, I mean, sin is just in the heart of every man. It doesn't matter what your skin color or skin tone is, we're sinners. <laughs> And so um, this idea, these things that separate us, um, it's it's silly because, again, in the heart of all of us, we're we're sinners and we need a Savior and we need to to view ourselves from the biblical perspective and and unity is one. Um, And I think that that will just, that will transform the world. (laughs) If that were really the case, it it, it would absolutely transform the world. Here's another thing. It's, if we hold to racism within the church, which is really bizarre, if we hold to racism within the church, then we are basically diminishing the work of Christ. Because now it's not mm-hmm. saved by grace. Now it's saved by grace and race. Mm-hmm. Because there were people, there were people who um, did not believe that the missionaries should go to Africa and uh, minister to them and evangelize them because they believed that they had no souls, so they could not be saved. Mm-hmm. What type of impact mm-hmm. that has? Right. Yeah, and these ideas, and the, the problem is that when these ideas are are taken in and, and they're taught and they're passed down, then they have an effect on how even someone who's a believer could even have just the crazy, you know, just these horrible ideas and thoughts about race because of things that, that they were taught, you know, within their family structures or within their peer structures and, you know, their socioeconomic structures and those sort of things. So those things, that's why I love what the scripture, you know, you know, Romans 12 about renewing your mind, you know, thinking on the, right. when we think on the things of God and we, we think biblically and clearly, then those things that we were raised with all come in, under subjection to what God's word has to say, and then um, we can 
we can see each other clearly. We see God clearly, obviously, but then we can see each other clearly um, and have a, have a biblical worldview. Um, but it's Absolutely. again, those things are those those things are, are passed down. I mean, it's it's not just necessarily one person believing this, and but it's again when generations of people believe these things and pass them down, and they're ingrained in, in you that those things become yeah. harder to overcome and to to get past. And, and we of all people, the byproduct of all people, we should be leading the charge against racism. We should be mm-hmm. leading that charge, and instead we are the ones being dragged along, kicking and screaming. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, well, let's let's jump into. Um, we've already kind of jumped into it, but in the third part of the book, where you deal and tackle head on with the issue of the Bible and racism. So you've kind of laid a groundwork yeah. for why the Bible is reliable, and then what is race and the black presence in the in the Bible, and um, those sort of things, and how we are to be raised from biblical perspective. And then um, you, we get here to the Bible and racism, which we know is, is a very real thing. And I mean, as we look at the world um, and just the the discord and the disunity um, that that we see. Mm-hmm. So um, there's so many things we could we so many places we could go here, and, and you touch on some wonderful things in, in your book um, that I know we probably won't get time to touch on everyone in depth as we would like, but um, why not let's start with this issue of slavery in the Bible, because, I mean, slavery obviously is a very sensitive topic for many, um, especially, you know, with the African-American trade that happened here in America and um, everything that transpired from that and Wars being fought over that, and um, some of those mentalities that came along with that. So let's talk about what the Bible has to say about slavery, because that is a common objection as well. Well, you know, the Bible condones slavery, so how can I, you know, as a black person, how can I worship a God who would condone slavery? Okay, okay. So I, I know you won't hit every part of this, and, and I'm I'm no. sorry to do that to you. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine, that's fine, that's fine, because here, here I'm going to give, give your audience certain principles, and as okay. I give these principles, then, we can, then we, can, we can apply these principles to these arguments. Okay. Okay. I use the acronym J-Bird, right, J-Bird. J stands for the Jews were not white. Okay. So usually if you, okay. can, if you get these things down, then you can pretty much deal with all these arguments. First, the Jews were not white, because a lot of, a lot of these arguments, Inherently, have the belief that the Jews were white and everybody else was black. And, okay, so, mm-hmm. so so the Jews were not white. Then biblical interpretation, be biblical interpretation. We have to be able to look at the scripture in its context and understand it in its context. Its context was not America. Its context was thousands of years ago. Okay, so right. then we have R. Then we have the R in the J-bird. Race is not a biblical concept, right? And I've already talked about that. And then D, difference between Christians and Christianity. So when we look at some of these, we can sort of go through them. Like for instance, that's a great God. One of the biggest issues, what's that? I said that's a great kind of God, God through the conversation. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm a big African person. I mean, that helps me so much. Oh, so. <laughs> okay, so when we look at <laughs> slavery in the Bible, eh, like I said, I think one of the main arguments we have, or the, I think one of the main drivers behind this idea is the belief that the Jews were white and everybody else was black, and so you had these white Jews who were enslaving these black people who were around them. 
right. Mm-hmm. But Jews weren't white. Like I said, and I, I go into a number of reasons why we know the Jews weren't white. First of all, the father of the Jews, Abraham, was from Ur, which is what, modern-day Iraq. All right. And we also know that the Jews were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Now, there was no prohibition against mine of the Egyptians. As a matter of fact, and I demonstrate in my research, is that slavery then is nothing like slavery that would happen in America. I mean, you still had your life. You still, you know, you could become, you know, an heir of, 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 your, of, of your slave masters. Then you could actually be adopted. You could, be, you could only be a slave for life. Not, I'm not going through some of those things. But, mm-hmm. but we know that they want that because another thing, we, we know that the Jews, mixed with them. And not only that, around the exact same time, we know that there was a great influx into Egypt from Cush. And I remember I Cush out of, you know, that's where you got the blue black brothers from. And so we know that they were in a mind with them because we know that Moses married a Cushite. So we know that wasn't something that was unusual. But then also, keep in mind now that the Jews, that two of the tribes of Israel were from Joseph and an Egyptian queen, Egyptian woman. So Manasseh and Ephraim are two of the tribes of Israel that are African. Mm-hmm. And also, coupled out with the fact that when they came up out of Egypt, they came out with a mixed multitude. What was this mixed multitude? This mixed multitude was from everything, mostly probably Egyptians. Sure, some Cushites, but there was no such. This, Israel was not even defined as a nation yet. So when Israel became a nation, was, well, after they came up out of the nation, after they came up out of Egypt, and when they got the command as far as Passover, who could take Passover? This is when God was establishing who the nation of Israel were, and then and in this body were a conglomerate of all kinds of people. So when the Israel, when the nation of Israel became a nation. They were a mixture of some of everything under the sun. So, like, so the Jews weren't black. So we know that that wasn't it. And mm-hmm. also, when we look at slavery in the Bible, actually there was no such, there's no such word as slavery in the Bible because no such thing as slavery the way that we know it now. Generally speaking, mostly speaking, you had servitude. And m- most of the servitude was voluntarily. They had no welfare system. They had no Section Eight. They had no food stamps. So if someone was poor, they were like they were hiring themselves out for money, or or a family might hire one of their their their, their daughter or their son out for money. But mm-hmm. after seven years, they would be released. They they were treated with with, with dignity. Mm-hmm. If if someone killed a slave, then they would be killed. It was like, you know, eye for an eye, the whole eye for an eye thing comes from. If you do something to a slave, mm-hmm. the thing was done to you. So it maintained the dignity of the person. That was something unique about slavery or servitude is that it maintained the dignity of the person. So it, there were all kinds of laws. I mean, like I said, uh, uh, a slave could inherit his master's estate if there were no heirs. Um, there was a strict observance of the Sabbath, uh, so they didn't have to work on the Sabbath. If a slave ran away, he couldn't be returned. So this was nothing compared to what we had 
in America. And I think what happens is we hear slavery and we automatically think what happened here in America. But what happened here in America that, is a whole different animal. Whole different that animal. And, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and not only that, the, the, the fact that there were Christians who used this passage as justification for slavery in America, now how they can use that passage or, 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 or the Bible this was specifically for specific people out of the specific time in history, and then try to apply to a whole race of people. Right. It's because one of the reasons that they do it, one of the, the arguments that they use is that they look at Noah, and they say that when Noah cursed his son Ham, what was the case? Yeah. That when, when, when the curse applied to all black people, the Canaan was cursed applied to all black people. So this was God's green light. To go over to Africa and get all the black people because God said they were going to be cursed and they should be your servants. And of course, you know, God was talking about the white people, you know, enslaving the black people. But the problem is, mm-hmm. is that that curse had absolutely nothing to do with who it was directed at. Listen, mm-hmm. Canaan was actually the inhabitants of the land of Israel, not Africa. That was Cush. Egypt, those were, those were those times. So even if that was true, it wouldn't apply to this situation because they went to Africa, which had nothing to do with Canaan. Right. So that is just that is just totally bizarre. <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah. I, mean, I, can go, I can go on and on, but but I'm also like, I'm the, yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to I want to also just make this last point is that slavery yeah. was not something that was invented in the Bible. God sometimes uses human institutions to provide for people or to punish people because there were instances where slavery was used to punish people. Like if, if God wanted to punish a nation, he would subject them to slavery mm-hmm. if they did not get right with him. But but God wasn't, wasn't doing this based on color because he did it to the Israelites too. God told the Israelites, if you don't get your act right, I'm going to make you slaves in Babylon and Assyria. So it had nothing to do exactly. with color, nothing to do with race. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the middle of making it interesting is that the nations that they became slaves to, Babylon and Assyria, were descendants of the African nations. So, that, so that's a completely destroyed their argument. Okay, I think I might have went on a little bit too long about that. But, but that is a big one. No, that's, that's <laughs> great. Yeah. So basically understanding what slavery is and the difference between slavery and servitude and looking at the human institutions and um, the, the fact that this right. – that what it was wasn't even based on race and what it was wasn't, wasn't right. clearly what we, what we saw in America um, in its early days and – I got a little sidetrack, but yeah, I got a little sidetrack. No, no. Jay Bird applies. Jews were not were not uh, white. Uh, biblical interpretation. They're taking this out of context in order to be able to apply to a, a situation where it doesn't apply. Um, that racism is a biblical concept, and that just because mm-hmm. people do something, because Christians did use some of these passages in order to condone slavery, but there's a difference between what Christians do and what Christianity is. Christianity is what Jesus teaches and what the Bible teaches. It's not what Christians do, because you you can find a big divide between the two. Right, absolutely. 
Yeah, and so that's very helpful just to keep in mind in general, not just when dealing with these issues, but just dealing with uh, any issue that we're dealing with. Yes. And how does how do we look at these things? Um, so that I love the acronym J B I R D. Um, yeah. And again, yeah. I, I learned through acronyms well, so that's something to to really look at and to um, again these conversations. They're very real conversations that people have, and very real. Um, conversations to have because they're very personal objections that people have um, to Christianity. Absolutely. So getting them to really understand the bigger picture here <laughs> um, of right. and, and just to objectively look at truth and that what, what they feel in their heart in terms of hatred um, towards Christianity may be actually and, and is founded on something that's not, that does not hold water, <laughs> that isn't true. No. Um, that they have these, no. that they have bought into what they've been taught, and not they're not objectively looking at truth. So it's great to have these resources to, to point them to. Um, so again, mm-hmm. people, you have to get this so that you can get more information on this topic <laughs> for sure. Um, um, so let's talk about this is one that was particular to, uh, particularly interesting to me um, the the issue of separation of races because um, that is something that you know sadly we do see today unfortunately still. Um, but does the Bible um, teach that as races that we should be separated? It's funny, my husband, um, when <laughs> when we first got married, he had a coworker um, who was, you know, man, he, I don't know if he was a genuine Christian, but, you know, he did go to church regularly. He was raised in church and that, um, but they, he and my husband were having a conversation one day and um, the conversation was about how we are, we all stand and, you know, we all need the Lord. We all need to repent and, you know, and that sort of thing. And the guy says to Devin, um, yeah, we we all sin. We were all sinners. We sin every day. I mean, I do stuff. You married a black woman. Um, da, 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 somebody else did this. I mean, he just rolled it off. I mean, he just rolled it off in the conversation. Like, but yeah, yeah, you sin by marrying Melissa. You know, kind of just, I mean, that was what he, in his mind, he really thought. And it was just. You know, it took Devin a while to really grasp what he was saying there. <laughs> but um, but so there are people That's who funny. really think that and who really believe that. But anyway, so this idea of the separation of races is that a biblical concept? Because some people do actually believe that and have and have been taught that. Yeah, and again, Jaybird. <laughs> yeah, Jews were not white. Okay. So that sort of that sort of shoots it down right there, uh, mm-hmm. and and another thing, the biblical interpretation now specifically to this, there are certain passages. For instance, like I quote the passage of Ezra where Israel is uh, is chastising Israel for marrying the Canaanite women, and they are so grieved that they decided they're going to give up their Canaanite women and all this type of stuff. And then the, the more of the story is that God was upset that they were marrying these black women. But, you know, this also, this in, insinuates or assumes that the Jews were white and the, and the uh, Canaanites were black. And demonstrated that is not the case. If you read the scripture, what it is saying is, and he says it really clear, and I, and I quote it, it's really clear. God is saying he did not want them to marry with them because of their detestable practices. So 
too, because right. I was black and white was black because they were. They were pretty much all the same anyway. In the skin tone, skin tone, they were probably all pretty much the same anyway. So it, that that makes no sense. So if you understand that race is not a biblical concept, if you understand what was actually happening in the past, the bi, the biblical interpretation, then you will understand that there is no way this argument makes any sense from a biblical point of view. Right. And how petty would that make God? <laughs> I mean, to to you know to separate us in that way. I mean, right. it just doesn't fit when you look at the redemptive history of the scriptures. It just it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> You it know, doesn't. And, and yeah. another argument that I use is uh, is that, you know, I said, well, if, if that was really true, if God really wanted the races to stay separate, then weren't white people the ones who were at fault for going over to Africa and bringing them here? I mean, they were minding their own business in Africa. So you were in yeah. here. So, yeah. so if you really believed that, you would have never gone over there and gotten it. <laughs> That's a good I, You know, it's. Again, I think I love how the apologetic and just the critical thinking, you know, when you look at these situations and you just think them through. Because, again, these right. are just emotional emotional um, thoughts and arguments and things that have been passed down to people that they just hold on to. But just when you apply this common sense questions, it just it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't hold up, you know, consistently anything. So um, that's, that's a very good point. So. Let's see here. Let, let's. I know we we talked earlier about this whole idea of the white man religion, and again, I have talked to people who do honestly believe that. I see I see things on Facebook that are posted that talk about you know I can't serve Christ because you know this one here blue eyed Jesus and um, you know I'm, who enslaved my brothers and sisters, which we already dealt with the issue of slavery, and that. Um, I can't I can't worship that God. This is this man made white man's religion. Um and you know, basically calling calling blacks to free themselves from uh, anything to do with Christianity because they see Christianity as being racially bond racially bondage um to black people. Right, so right. um how how do you respond yeah. to some of those things? Yeah, that's that is uh just a lack of understanding. And and, and let me let me explain what I mean by that. Um when we look at Pentecost, now Pentecost is when the church started. Pentecost is when the Apostle Peter preached and 3,000 came. Now, when you look at mm-hmm. that passage, he tells us where those people were from. And they were from all the entire, they were from basically the known world at that time. Africa, mm-hmm. Egypt, Middle East. So when the first church started, it was as diverse as it could get. I mean, it was industry. Mm-hmm. It was diverse, and not only that, the first, and these were all Jews, but they were Jews who were of different skin colors because Jews had migrated all over the place, just like everybody else, and their skin colors, you know, very depending on that as well. But when they all came back for Passover in order to, you know, to honor, to, you know, to, to observe the, the sacrilege, but or to the sacrament. But uh, but also, let's look at the first non-Jew. Convert. It was the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, God performed a miracle to have the gospel preached to the Ethiopian eunuch who mm-hmm. became a believer, who went back, and he was the treasurer of the Queen of Candace, of Queen Candace, who was the Queen basically of, of 
Ethiopian, which is basically Kush, the nation of Kush I mentioned before, and the, the, now, now, now the tradition says that that she became a believer, and he was actually martyred for his faith. But what we do know for sure is that by the fourth century A.D., Africa was Christianized. Africa was a predominant religion. I mean, Christianity was a predominant religion in Africa. As a matter of fact, what a lot of people don't realize is that some of the greatest and the first church fathers or theologians were African. When we look at someone like Tertullian, who was African, and he was the first person to even, who, who, who distinctly uh, articulated the Trinity. You had Sapien, you had Clement, you had Origen, you had Athanasia, who was the defender of the faith. As a matter of fact, Ethiopia, uh, Athanasius was, was, uh, was one of the ones who protected the gospel against heresy. And he actually had a nickname where his enemy called him the Black Dwarf because he was dark-skinned and he was obviously short. And, and hmm. maybe one of the greatest one of, the, one of the greatest early theologians was Augustine. He was African. Some of the greatest theologians, and we have we have writings. We have writings in Coptic of, of many uh, of thousands of New Testament manuscripts indicating that that Christianity was flourishing. We discovered temples where they had the uh, the, uh, the apostles and 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 types of imagery, Christian imagery in in the sanctuary. So going back to right after Christianity, like the 100, 200, 300, 400, 80s, all the way up. So when people say or imply that Christianity is a white man's religion, they are mistaken. But not only that, I'm going to go even further. I'm going to go even further and say that most Christians today aren't Christian. I mean, most Christians today aren't, aren't white. You can, mm-hmm. and I put some of you can go to just five countries in Africa combined had more Christians than, than in all of America. There are mm. hundreds of millions of Christians in China. So the idea that Christianity mm-hmm. is a white man's religion is a very short-sighted, narrow view by just this country in this particular century. These are people who don't understand the entire scope of Christianity or the entire scope of, of history and church history. Wow. Right, and and yet and the many idea times. that Jesus was white is another fallacy <laughs> because he came from the Jews right. and said that they weren't white. Right. So is that I think part of the the um, the intimidation there is because people that teach this um, they sound very um, informed and intelligent on the issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. when they don't, like I said, they don't know history. They don't know just their own reasoning and um so they're they're misinformed on this and so that's another opportunity for us to be studied up in this area um to refute those ones and not to just accept that. I think again I think the people that um that do flock to that and do believe that and do succumb to those teachings, it, it is emotional and that they want to maybe Christianity hasn't worked for them in their life in some way or they thought or they um, they were false converts to Christianity and they didn't understand it, and then um, they're being told that it's well, yeah. bondage, and you know, so it, there's this draw and, and there. I, 
power. I think a lot of it has to do with my uh, with D and J Bird is that they have seen Christians who were white, who were uh, oppressive, which is true. But they are, mm-hmm. as I mentioned, they're confusing Christians and Christianity. Now, I, I, I saw, you know, Malcolm X, and I read this book, and and I understand why he felt betrayed by uh, Christianity because his only frame mm-hmm. of reference were those white people. But once he got outside of America and he did go to Mecca, he did start to see that there were different types of people now, unfortunately, he didn't mm-hmm. understand the roots of Christianity and wasn't exposed to that because then, then who knows, maybe history would have been different. Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of just what the, what the Scripture talks about, you know, in terms of unity in Christ and that, um, goodness, my, my fellowship with other believers um, and when we have friends, Evan and I are, are obviously our skin colors are, don't match. <laughs> um, and right. then our, our social circle, our friends, our our support system, our encouragers, um, our ministry partners—they're from every ethnicity under the sun, you know. And so those relationships are so meaningful to me, and it's just not something that um, would that I would take into consideration when it comes to right. those that I love and these sort of things. And to me, it's more sad than anything that people uh, have closed themselves off from those relationships and friendships and that, that they could, that they could have that God has given us to help each other, to get through this, the struggle of life. You know, we need, we need right. to, to, we need as many people in our corner as possible. <laughs> Um, right, so right, the fact that we right. separate ourselves, even as Christians, that we would separate ourselves from those who are different is really, um, it's just sad to me more than anything, because there, there's just a tremendous blessing in that. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let, let's cover a, one more topic here, and because and, I know we've, we've talked about it a lot, and I don't want to give the whole book away, so I want <laughs> people to still go out. <laughs> And get this book. But the book is oh, pretty big, your, so it's difficult to do that. Yeah, so that, yeah, we obviously can't cover the whole book. But um, you talk about in the the um, the last section, you talk about uh, Bible and the unity of man. So you talk about oh, yeah. why the Bible's true, race, the Bible and racism, and then we talk about the, the the unity of man, which is just one of the most beautiful things when you sit and study that unity in the Bible, right? And how Christianity right. right. unifies us. Um, as opposed to what right. you kind of we just address address the the false notion that Christianity is a white man's religion and that we should live separately based on our skin color, but rather what the scriptures really show is that we should be unified and that the message unifies us. It's just such a beautiful thing. So um, you share some things. Um, I'll, I'll just let you kind of share the the main nuggets from this um, from this section that you thought were really important as as you studied and as you wrote. Yeah, the, the thing I want to I want to um, mention about this section is this section really sort of jumped out at me because this is this is actually God's view of what man is from His perspective, and God mm-hmm. is a designer, so He knows better than anyone else. If you want to know what something was designed for, you ask the designer. But when we it, go yeah. back, <laughs> we go back to Genesis. We see God. We see the fall of mankind, and we see that. 
that man was rebellious and God separated man based on language and men wouldn't get their own things. But there was an interesting thing that happened. God called a man named Abraham. And God said something to him that was really fascinating. He said that all the nations, all, I'm stressing all, all the nations of the world will be blessed through your seed. All of them. He ain't say the black one. He ain't say the white one. Mm-hmm. He said all of them. So um, then mm-hmm. God pulled to himself or, or created within himself this nation and, 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 and held this nation and protected this nation and grew this nation. Now, this nation was a nation of priests. This nation was supposed to be an example of, uh, of, uh, of what God wants to do with the nation. And this nation also was a nation that God used to bless the other nations. And, and this is what I mean by that. Uh, every year there was something called the um, – well, every year there were 70 bulls sacrificed to the 70 nations. Now, these 70 nations correspond to the 70 nations in – and uh, and the table of nations in Genesis, which gives you uh, the layout where all the nations dispersed. In. So the nation of Israel was doing sacrifices for all the nations, not just the nation of Israel. They were acting as priests on behalf of all the nations of the world. So they mm-hmm. were offering sacrifices for all the nations of the world. And when you listen to God and God is speaking to them, God is talking to the nation of Israel. He's using the nation of Israel, but his goal is, the entire nation, the entire world. Uh, as a matter of fact, we see like in Psalm 22, 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before you. Uh, he talks about his house being a house of prayer for all nations, not the white nations, not the black nations, but all nations. So God has something bigger in mind. He has something bigger than just the nation of Israel. But not only that, God even goes specifically and mentions African nations in his plan as well. An example that would be like Psalm 68, 31-32, envoys would come out of Egypt, Ethiopia, would quickly stretch out her hands to God, sing, O God, all kings of the earth, sing praises to the Lord. And I go through the Psalms, and I go through a lot of the Old Testament scriptures where God is calling out to all the nations, and even particularly the African nations, and I go into the New Testament, and I make that the same connection. How how Paul talks about there's there's you know neither Greek nor Jew in Christ Jesus. I talked about how Jesus when he said when he gave the great commission, he said go into all the nations of the world. And he didn't say go into the black nations of the world. He didn't say go into the white. He said go into all the nations of the world. And how the gospel was inclusive to all of the nations. God is trying to reach everyone. And then the apostle um, uh, John. This is all. This is also in Revelations where he's at the throne and the and the, and the, he's saying that they are singing to the Lamb. They are singing in the throne of God, and that there are people there from all nations, all tongues, and all tribes. This is God's view. This is this has always been God's view from day one because we all have the same image of God in us that we got from Adam. If we go enough generations back and back and back, we all got the same great, 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 great grandparents. So God sees us as one. For us not to understand that is to miss what God is trying to communicate throughout the entire scripture. We are missing it if we don't understand that. We are all children of God. We all have the, we all have the hard work that comes along with being made in the image of God. Mm, wow. That it, 
yeah, I think I think you just summed it. <laughs> I mean, well, and that, that I mean that is just again the beauty of what Christ did and how he, I mean he he created us, he loves us, and he we're created in his image alone, his image, which is um, nothing that could separate us or divide us in terms of skin color, ethnicity, or what we look like, and these sort of things that which are just these kind of superficial thing but at the heart we're all humans in his image and um i you know i, I really um love how in revelation it, it talks about um you know the apostle john is during this transportation um vision to heaven um and he sees yes. the throne and all the different tribes yes. and nations and so praising and worshiping yes. the savior and they're singing the song and I mean, I, I just think it's so neat how God gives us this glimpse into to heaven <laughs> through John and how it, 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 I don't think it was by mistake that it was revealed that all these different tribes and nations were, to, were there together worshiping alongside no, one another. No. And, and, and when when we try to make the Bible all about black people, we're missing it. When we come to the Bible all about white people, we're mm-hmm. missing it. We have to understand mm. in the entire plan of God. Amen. Yeah, and they were they were together worshiping. They were it was him that drew them together. It was him, yes. the, our creator, the the one the one who created us, who loves us, who sustains us. He is the one that unites us. And so it would only be fitting um to see that vision of us worshiping him together. And um I just it, it just all the different tribes and nations. It's just—it's going to be so neat to be yes, there. Um, but, while, but while we're here on Earth, we can still worship with those who are different than us. We have that opportunity. Um, there's something I think that, I think that's, Yeah, I think I think that's God's desire. I mean, I'm sure God mm-hmm. isn't happy when, you know, when when He looks at. I have a friend of mine who is married to a white woman, and he told me that he went to visit a a white church. I, I can't remember why he went to visit this church, but he was talking to someone outside and, he, and uh, his wife went inside. And when he mm-hmm. went inside, he uh, sat down next to her and she was sitting there talking to some people, you know, and when they saw him, they got up and just didn't say bye, just got up and just walked away. Wow. Because he was black and she was white. And so he thought maybe, you know, maybe he misread it. So he, him and his wife got up and sat down next to them again and they got up again and walked away. And so wow. he ended up joining that church, and it was the first black person they've had that joined that church, I think, since the 50s. And half the wow. left when he joined the church. Wow. That's sad. That's a travesty. That's really this is sad. A mock- that makes a mockery of the gospel. It is. It, it really is. And now that salvation is, is now more about, is now about race in addition to grace. Wow, I don't see that either. <laughs> um, but I think it's neat, like like your friend being a part of that church, and I think it's neat for us to, and a great opportunity for us while we're here um, to worship with those who are different, to uh, make Christian friendships with those who are different, and to live life mm-hmm. alongside those who are different. Um, and that this right. does point people to Christ. This does show the unity um, that is in God that can exist in him because he alone, he takes away those, um, those differences that, and those constructs that people think are that you can't overcome. But yes, absolutely. And Christ 
absolutely you can overcome those and you can um, just see each other for who God sees us. And so, you know, it's just, it's just, it's a neat, um, it's sad how things are, but at the same time, it's a challenge and a great opportunity for us as believers to um, just take the the biblical worldview um, to the streets and in a practical way and live it out very loudly and very clearly before a lost and dying world. So I'm I'm just, I'm encouraged in my own life through, through this interview. And um, I totally encourage um, anyone to, and everyone to get this book. Um, Make sure you give it an answer um, dot org and get your hands on this book and, um, follow Harold and uh, his website and their YouTube channel and um, on local TV and just um, make sure that this ministry is on your radar that you so that you can see what they're doing to equip the body of Christ. Um, uh, any closing thoughts, Harold, you'd like to share with us, uh, Dr. Felder, before um, we uh, end this segment? We've been so blessed to have you today. Well, uh, I, I really... Um... I thank you for inviting me. I thank you and uh, yeah. giving me this opportunity. And I guess the only thing that I would I would like to leave with is uh, when I was thinking about writing this book, well, before I actually made a decision to write the book, I had went to a Juneteenth uh, celebration here in Charlotte. And I don't know, many people might not know what Juneteenth is. But Juneteenth, Juneteenth is a celebration of uh, the free slave Slaves being free from, from slavery. Now, you may say, well, oh, that was the Emancipation Proclamation. Well, yes and no. The Emancipation Proclamation did free the slaves. However, there were a bunch of slave owners who weren't going to pay attention to the Emancipation Proclamation. And it wasn't until Union soldiers walked down the street in, in, in Texas and actually forcibly uh, liberated the slaves that they were actually free. Cause they didn't even know about you know, the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm-hmm. But when I was there, I was I was looking at this, and it was a picture that really struck struck me. It was a picture of a black baby. And a black baby was being fed by a large spoon holding, and the spoon was being held by a white hand. And in the spoon was a Bible, chains, and a cross. So the implications were pretty clear to me. The whole mm-hmm. thing about Christianity being the slave religion, and the point mm-hmm. I just want to—I want to—I want to stress to people: people cannot think any higher of themselves than they believe that God thinks about. Them. And I repeat that: people cannot think any higher of themselves than they think God thinks about. Them. So if you don't believe that God values you because you're black, then you won't value yourself. Here's mm-hmm. the thing. God values each and every one of us. God values no one more than he values you. I don't care what the color of your skin. I don't care how tall you are, how big you are. God loves no one more than he loves you. No one. And he never will love anyone Morning, you love, he loves you. So I just reach out. I just encourage everyone to seek him for themselves. And it's, it's not difficult. God explains it pretty quickly. Just believe that God raised him from the dead and confess that Jesus is Lord. And guess what? You are saved. Even if it doesn't feel like you're saved, you are saved. Mm-hmm. And anyone reach out to me anytime. Uh, email me. Mm-hmm. Call me. My number's on the website. And I will answer any questions you have. 
and we can talk Absolutely. about anything we talk about here or anything we didn't talk about here. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, reach out to Dr. Hel- Dr. Felder just about whether it's about the book and the information on his website or if you do want to uh, maybe have a conversation about what it means to be a Christian and, um, you know, more questions about his testimony and uh, maybe that, that did cause you to have some questions and um, give him a call. Give him, go to his website, email him, contact him, reach out to him, and um, he would love to minister to you as he's ministered to all of us um, through this radio program. Dr. Felder, we thank you so much for being here with us. Um, this was um, a lot of wonderful information and um, a great way for people to just get excited about this book and a great way for people to start having conversations with their friends, with their peers, with their fellow believing friends, and um, for us as, as Christians to just lead the charge and to take um, the, seriously what the Scripture talks of, uh, talks of in terms of being unified and to, to live that out before the world and to be bold about that. So we thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad that my husband set this show up and, and so glad that you <laughs> responded and were able to come on with us, that it worked out with your schedule. <laughs> tell him I say Hello. <laughs> I sure will. We and you tell uh, your wife that we said hello as well, and um, we uh, look forward to seeing what the Lord continues to do through you, you all's life and ministry. And you take care, and God bless you. Thank you very much. Good evening. Yeah, Bye. you too. Well, everyone, we are so um, thankful for your time this evening uh, on to be with us on Theology Matters with the Blues. And uh, make sure that you join us again next week, this time, same time, and we will have another wonderful show where you will be equipped and encouraged um, to share the Christian faith and to live out the Christian faith. And uh, until then, we pray that you just continue to abide in Christ. Um, reach out if you have questions about what it means to be a Christian. Reach out if you have questions about our show and um, the information that was shared, and we will get you with the proper resources and um, and those who can answer those questions for you. And we are just consider a, a true blessing to be with you today and for this opportunity for, um, from God to be with you. So until next time, God bless you, and we will uh, see you all next Thursday.